We're moving in now to week two of this uh, series that we've been uh, calling Twisted. Um, and what we're doing is we're looking at some of the, the mis, most misused Bible verses in the Bible. Okay, so these are highly quoted and highly misquoted verses. Verses that have been taken out of context and misused to mean kind of whatever the person using them wants them to mean. Today, we're going to look at one of the verses. Honestly, this is probably the number one quoted Bible verse by non-Christians. They don't know where it comes from, but they've heard it once and they can remember it. It also comes up a lot for Christians who are kind of talking to each other. Um, This verse is in uh, the Gospel of Matthew, so it's the first book of the New Testament. If you're trying to look for it, there's usually a big title page there that says New Testament. Matthew's the first book there. A gospel is a story of Jesus. So it's just telling the story of what went on. We're going to go to the seventh chapter and start at verse one there. So tell me, as we go to that verse, tell me if you have heard this verse flung across the room at somebody else, okay? Jesus is, we're in the middle of Jesus' teaching, and this is what he says here. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. Have you heard that before? Have you ever caught that in the side of the head before? That's the way it comes. But honestly, when people say this verse, they don't say it the way that I say it. They didn't say it the way I just said it there. They always quote it with a little bit of attitude. So they come at you and say, do not judge or you'll be judged. Right? And they come at you right and hard like that. Always with that attitude. And if you really want to kick up your attitude a little bit, you want to make it more powerful, more godly, switch to King James. Right? Because when you get the King James coming at you, you can't argue with that. So it's Judge not, lest ye be judged. You go, ooh, that's kind of ominous and scary. People, they don't, they don't believe the Bible. They don't believe any part about it, but they believe this verse, and they believe this verse passionately. They say it with attitude. They don't know where it comes from. They don't know why it's there, but it doesn't matter. Because for you, you need to know, don't judge me. So as we're reading this, this section is here. It says, do not judge, or you too will be judged. In the same way you judge others, you too will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. In other words, this obviously must mean that you have no right to tell me how to live. I'll just do what I want with my life. You do what you want with your life. You're a sinner too, right? It doesn't matter what I do as long as it makes me happy. As long as it doesn't hurt anybody, I can just always do what I want. So judge not lest ye be judged. This is one of the most pervasive views of culture today. This is, it's just all around. Tolerate everything, every kind of behavior, every kind of belief system. You have no right to say what's right or what's wrong. Do not judge or you will be judged. And honestly, if we stop for a moment, think about your life, it does stink to be judged doesn't it? Because I'm guessing that that most of you here, at one point or another, you have felt judged. You have felt that someone looked down on you. Sometimes that was misjudging you. They just didn't know. Sometimes... (laughs) Well, sometimes you haven't forgotten about it, right? Sometimes it still sticks. 
And you, and you can't forget it. You can't forget that day, that week, that month, that year when you were feeling it. But oddly enough, that's never happened to me. I've never been judged, so no one has ever judged me ever. Never happened. However, it has come to my attention. Somebody has brought it to my attention sometimes, and they ask me why all white pastors hate black people, and they ask why male pastors are so against all women, and they've asked how I can be content mooching off people by telling them lies, or how I can take the time to look down on everyone else who just has a mind of their own and thinks for themselves. They take the time to look at the world realistically. Why do I hate people who just live their lives? In this day and age, I mean, it's 2017. How can you hate people so much, so often? I don't. I don't hate people. I don't believe like Westboro Baptist believes or behaves. That's never been. But we kind of get lumped together. It can. It does feel horrible to be judged. And it's no secret that this theme alone is probably one of the number one reasons that drives non-Christians away from Christians and everything they believe. Those Christians, they're so judgmental. If you're more of a tech kind of person, you can have some fun someday. Go to Google and type in, why are Christians so? And see what the options are that people have searched for. They're so narrow-minded. They're hypocrites. They're all so condemning. When Jesus said, do not judge or you too will be judged, is that what he meant? Is that what he was getting at, this problem that we can feel around us? Is that what he was saying? If that's true, then we have to acknowledge that no teacher has the right to judge an essay. And for some of you, that might be great news, right? What right does a teacher have to say that essay is worth a B and not an A? You have no right to judge my paper. If we take it at face value, then, then a jury has no right to, to, to talk to the judge and say, we need to hold this person accountable for that crime. Who are you to say if I'm innocent or guilty? If it's true, then a police officer has no right to tell you, tell you that you're driving on the wrong side of the street. Who are you to judge me? I just feel better driving on this side of the road. You have no right to tell me where I can and can't drive. Is that Really, what Jesus is getting at there? Is that what's going on? Because I think already you're starting to think that there are some places, there are some ways, and I think we could all possibly agree that at some level we're allowed to and even supposed to judge. And I'm going to ask you some more questions, and I want you to think about it. And I'll tell you, this is honestly, this is meant to be a little bit tricky and maybe even a little bit painful. For example, do you have the right to judge someone's funny haircut. Oh, I can't believe they did that. And if you just happen to be right now sitting beside a person with that haircut, just keep looking forward, okay? Don't look at them. Keep looking forward. We'll pretend that they don't know what's going on. What if it's your kid's haircut? What if your kid wants to get something shaved into the back of their haircut that's offensive? 
Do you have the right to speak into that? Do you have the right to judge what they're doing there? What if it's some random guy at work? You don't really know him, but you can see him and you know that he's married, but he's really flirty. He's always kind of going off with people. Do you have the right to speak into that? But you can't judge, right? Don't judge that. Don't say anything to that. What if it's not a random guy? What if it's your best friend? And what if he's a Christian? And he's married and he's really flirty and it looks awkward all the time. Do you have the right to speak into his life? Or do you never, ever judge? Let's try this one. This one will hurt more. Our culture says that anybody can have sex with anybody, right? That's our view. At any time, you can't judge someone's sexual life. But what if someone wants to have sex with a 12-year-old? Do you have the right to speak into that? Do you have the right to judge that? What if it's your 12-year-old? This is particularly poignant for us right now because in York region, there has just been a big bust. A whole bunch of what they would describe as no previous record, regular appearing dads who are trying to hook up with 13 to 16-year-olds. York region, not somewhere else in the world, and a number from Stouffville as well. Part of a family. Dads with kids, no prior record of any kind. Do we have the right to speak into that? Do you realize how complicated and how important, how incredibly important it is that we get this right? Do not judge or you too will be judged. What exactly does it mean? So how many of, how many of you were with us at church two weeks ago? Couple? One? It was, it was more than just me, I know that. All right, so two weeks ago, we did, a, we did a, an introduction, a brief kind of teaching that was about how to accurately interpret or understand Scripture, right? We called it translating then, but how we do that. And so there was three quick things, and I want to just remind you of those things, and then we'll, get, uh, we'll keep going. Number one, we talked about understanding the context. Context is what, what's happening around it. We don't, we don't scoop a verse up, take it away, and leave it over here all by itself, all right? That happens too much. What we need to do is we need to know who wrote that verse. We need to know uh, why they wrote it, when they wrote it, to whom they were writing, what comes before this verse, what comes after this verse. Context. We need to know context. The second thing is the best way to interpret the Bible, the best way to interpret Scripture is by using other Scripture. Okay, so we, we don't just take the one verse by itself. We take the, the totality of Scripture and we look for places where this theme is brought up. How do these verses relate to those ones? And we try to do it. So we don't interpret just by our feelings or by our experiences, even when we feel really strong about something. It has to be in context and with other supporting kinds of things. Um, so we, we try to look at the totality of how things come up there. Third thing, um, we're not supposed to just be students of the word studying the word. Yes, but, right? We're always supposed to apply. We must live this out. So the actions that we take should be defined by what Scripture teaches. So what we do is live something out. What does the Bible say? How does that impact the way I will live today? We interpret Scripture with Scripture. We, uh, we keep everything in context. 
and we make sure we apply it. Okay, so that's the way that we interpret. So let's do that with um, Matthew chapter 7. The context, what comes before Matthew chapter 7? Yeah. Matthew chapter 6. You know how this works. There's some people who are still new and they think, I've got to get the right answer. I better read the whole chapter right away. No, it's Matthew chapter 6. That's what comes before. Matthew chapter 6, the big, it's important, right? Because Matthew 7, 1, it's right at the beginning. You've got to go before that. So what Jesus has been talking about in Matthew chapter 6, the really big theme that he's been harping on is hypocrisy. Jesus was railing on the Pharisees for their hypocrisy, the way they talk religion but don't live with the heart that goes there. So in verse 2 of chapter 6, verse 5, verse 16, Jesus is talking, he's teaching, and he's focused on hypocrisy. Then we get to Matthew chapter 7. Jesus says, do not judge. Later on in the same chapter, he says, watch out. Be on your guard. Be aware of false prophets. So wait, hold on a second there, right? I'm not allowed to judge, but if I'm going to deem someone a false prophet, they don't come with a false prophet name tag. What am I going to have to do to identify a false prophet? I'm going to have to make a judgment. I'm going to have to judge whether or not that person is from God. In the very same chapter, Jesus says, do not judge. And then he goes on to imply that we're going to have to make a judgment. Jesus is not telling us that we should live without discernment. He's not telling us that we never have the right to speak into the lives of other believers. What he's telling us is that we should be very, very careful and never judge hypocritically. So do not judge or you too will be judged in the same way, to the same measure, you too will also be judged. That's verse 1 and verse 2. Then on to verse 3, just to keep our context. He goes on to start telling jokes. That's the way some people say this part is. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out in your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your eye? Then he says what? He calls them, he says, you hypocrite. You hypocrite. The big theme that in this teaching right here is also hypocrisy. It's more hypocrisy than it is judgment. And he says, you hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly. To do what? What's the point? Why would you bother? To remove the speck from your brother's eye. In other words, don't hold yourself back and not ever help your brothers see more clearly, but you're not going to just stand there and pick apart people when you know you've got your own problems. So look in the mirror first and look in the mirror regularly on an ongoing basis. Don't pick other people apart. Don't find their little faults when you've got big issues in your own life. He's saying don't judge hypocritically. That's the context. Now, to interpret the Bible with the Bible, we're going to look at some other verses from different places that talk about judging, okay, so we can get it. This is your judgment training class right now. Have you ever watched The Simpsons? They sent, Flanders sent his kids off to judgment camp. You ever see that? Sometimes they did a great job of, of skewering the church and what we've been known for, teaching, teaching you how to judge. Well, we're going to do that today. So what's clear about judging? The first thing that Jesus taught 
is that we should never judge superficially. Now let's be honest. Because we're supposed to be honest. We're in church. Got to be honest here. We all do this, right? We all do this and we all do this frequently. And we do it, honestly, because it's the most efficient way to judge people. It's just so convenient to condemn others from a distance. I can do it easily. So here's what Jesus says in John chapter 7, verse 24. And if you have one of those kind of Bibles, this stuff's in red. So you know it's important. Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. So do you see what he just said there? Jesus said there's a time to judge. And when you do judge, judge accurately. Judge correctly. But please, please don't ever judge by mere appearances. Now some of you know, some of you have met, (laughs) and you can't forget this meeting, some of you have met someone who has the spiritual gift of judging by mere appearances, right? Who does she think she is coming here all like that? Oh, he's so full of himself, blah, 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 blah. It's a spiritual gift, but it's the wrong spirit. We all do this. We all judge quickly. But be very, very careful. Don't judge from a distance. That rich guy, do you know the way they spend their money? No, no, no. You don't know how they spend their money. You saw a moment. You saw a little picture. You have no idea what else they're doing. You have no idea how many people they help that you don't know anything about. Don't judge that. Oh, I met her. And was she ever a, and you just want me to say something else, right? Because you want to know what she was. But if you, if you know what's going on, it changes the scenario. If you knew that her mom was dying in the hospital, then you would understand that her behavior is off today. It was a moment in time. And maybe that compassion would come up from you. And maybe you could be involved in praying for her. Maybe you could be involved in actually understanding and helping the situation instead of standing off from a distance saying they're no good. In the church, we do this as well. Unfortunately, we got to tell the truth, though. We say stuff like, oh, we don't like that, pastor. We don't like that church. Do you know that, pastor? Or do you know of that, pastor? Have you ever been there? Do you know what it's like? We're going to do a couple things today. We're going to talk about judging, but we're also going to talk about some Uh, brass tacks, if you will, some DNA. So as a church, this church, we're going to be for people who are for God, all right? That's going to be our goal. We're going to start on that path. We're not going to be doing judging from a distance. We're going to give people the benefit of the doubt, which means that we will be wrong sometimes. But if we're going to be wrong, let's be wrong that way instead of saying we were wrong because we judged too harshly because we didn't want to get caught. We're going to believe the best. We're not going to judge by mere appearances. We're going to believe and trust the best about people. And then we will follow this teaching of Jesus. Do not judge by mere appearances, but judge correctly. So we don't judge from a distance. We don't just judge by what you hear. We don't just judge by one encounter. We're going to learn to judge correctly. Number two, never judge hypocritically. 
Paul is uh, he's talking to the Roman church. And in, in Romans chapter 2 starts in verse 1, and then we're going to jump down to verse 4, just so you can follow along here. You may think you condemn such people, but you're just as bad. And you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you're condemning yourself. For you who judge others do these very same things. And then in verse 4, his tone changes. And all of a sudden, the love and, and the grace and the passion, the intensity of God seems to come out in Paul. And he writes, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? So why are you picking them apart? God has been gracious to you. You think you're perfect? Who are you? God's waiting on you to change as well. Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that God's kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Don't judge hypocritically. What is it that we do? Here, let, let's honestly again, tell the truth. This is so easy. It's so common. We tend to accuse others and excuse ourselves. Oh, you ought to hear what they did. Oh my gosh, do you know what I just heard? Me? Oh wait, hold on a second. You don't know the whole story, right? If you knew what I was going through, you'd understand. If you just knew my intentions, right? I know it didn't look great, but my intentions are good. That's not really who I am. That was just once, right? We accuse others and we excuse ourselves. Number three, never hold non-Christians to Christian standards. We talked about this in base camp. I'm not sure if you can remember this, but if you go back, we are part of a family. So when you enter the family, then the rules apply to you. If you're not part of the family, then those are your neighbor's rules. They might be good rules. They might be helpful, but they're your neighbor's rules. So we don't hold those who are outside of the family of God to our family standards. And this is what Paul teaches here in 1 Corinthians 5. He says, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? It's God's to judge those outside. If they are believers, aren't we together, as, as iron sharpens iron, supposed to help one another, to spur one another on toward good works, to show love, to, to help gently restore people who have fallen away? Aren't we to help other family members? And this is probably one of the number one reasons why non-Christians step away from ever pursuing God because of the judgmentalism and hypocrisy of Christian belief. And we have to own that. We don't have to live in that. We have to own that we're part of a family that's larger than just you and me. We're part of a group. And we've got a bad history. We've made mistakes. And you say stuff like, well, you should act like this. And they go, but I see the way you are. You're not perfect either. But what I do is okay. What you do is the wrong stuff. That's why at our church, I really, I want you to get this part. There are many of you who would say, I'm not a follower of Jesus. That's not how I would identify myself. That's not what I believe. And I'll add the word yet. How about that? I'm here, but I don't really believe the whole thing. I'm not a follower of Jesus. Now, I want you to hear this from me. 
You are welcome here. We want you here. We're glad that you are here. And I want to tell you right now that you don't have to believe everything that I believe today in order to belong to this church. You can belong before you believe. Let me say it this way. You can belong before you behave the way other people think you should behave. And this is the way Jesus was. He went up to people, and they're doing, they're doing crazy bad things, right? And he loved them. And he loved them, but he didn't leave them there. It was Jesus who changed them. That's why we trust. We trust that God is involved in my life. And I trust that God is involved in your life. But I am not called to change other people. I'm not called to change people who are outside of the family of God. I am called to love them and introduce them clearly to a God who changes them, even in the same way that that God is changing me. And this is so, so important that we get this right. And the reason I'm emphasizing it is because I know many of you come from other churches, and this has not been the way that it has felt. This is not what you experienced. And there is a hurt. There is a wounding. And there's a sense that justice should be done. And if it happened to me, it needs to happen to them. And I need to protect God. And I need to protect his standards. And we need to be teaching the truth. We need to be living the truth. But it's the whole package. So if, if, if you're here and right now, you've got something that's really challenging you. You're addicted to something You've got kind of some sexual stuff that's going on in your life. You lose your temper. You don't know what you believe. You can't figure this God thing out at all. Listen to me. If you are here and you are sincerely seeking to know who Jesus is, is he real, whatever, if you're honestly pursuing him, then you are welcome here no matter what you're doing right now. You're welcome here. You are welcome because we all come on this level ground with all of us acknowledging that we are sinners who need a Savior. And I say, if you can say, I'm moving towards Jesus, you are absolutely, completely welcomed, loved, and embraced. And let's together step toward Jesus and let's let him conform us to who he wants us to be. We don't hold those outside the family of God to the standards of those inside the family of God. It's God's place to deal with them. It's our place to love one another. It's eyes up and we'll point you in God's direction. We'll call you to come with us on this road trip in earnest pursuit of Jesus. We'll say, follow me as I follow Jesus. And it's so important that we get this right. When Jesus said, don't judge others, or you will be judged. He's not telling us that we don't have the right or the calling to speak into another's life. He's telling you how to do it. As we flesh that out, how do we do this? The fourth thing is that we always help restore fallen believers. The reason that this is so important, if you don't remember anything else today, let this part sink in. Let this one come in. The reason that we restore fallen believers is because this will be you. At some point. This will be me. At some point. We are all vulnerable to temptation. 
None of us get this right all the time. And in the family of God, when someone strays, family members come and say, we love you too much to let you go down that road. Let's get back on the path of righteousness. Come with me. Come with us. Come. Be part of this earnest pursuit of Jesus. We all need to be willing to help others, and we all need to be open to correction from others. Galatians 6 says, uh, brothers and sisters. So now we know who we're talking to, right? Brothers and sisters. We're talking about inside the family, right? Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, wait a minute. Who are you to tell me that's a sin, right? Who are you to judge that's a sin? Who are we talking to? People in the family, all right? We agree in God's family that God's truth that God is truth, that his word is truth. And when the Bible is clear about something, we're going to live according to that. And if someone is living contrary to God's word, what do we call that? Call that sin. Is that politically correct? Not so much. Who are you to say that it's a sin? Those are our family rules. We don't hold you to our family rules if you're not part of our family. You don't hold us to your family rules if we're not part of your family. These are family rules. So if someone that we love is going contrary to God's word, it is called a sin. And those who live by the Spirit should do what to that person? Gossip about them? Kick them out of the church? Shame them? Kick them when they're down? Shoot the wounded? Tell them that if you don't change your behavior, you're going to go to hell where the worm never dies and when there's weeping of gnashing and teeth. Bless God. Not going to allow that kind of behavior in my church. Get them out of here, sinner. No. No, right? We restore them how? Those who live by the Spirit restore that person gently. Gently. With the same grace that you would like to be shown, you show to them. With the same love that you would like to be shown, you show them. With the same grace that God gave to you, you give to them. You restore them. You help them get back on the right path. And you do it with love. You do it with compassion and you do it with grace. And then Paul says, but watch yourselves or you may also be tempted. This is so important that we get it right. The moment you start correcting others, you become vulnerable to pride. Pride comes before a fall. You don't want to fall as well. The moment you start, you have to be wise. You have to use discernment. You have to have a ton of wisdom to make sure that you protect yourself and you don't also get tempted. Then this is beautiful, verse 2. Paul says that in the family of God, in the family of God, this is what we do. We carry each other's burdens. When someone is down, we help to take the burden off them. We love them back into fellowship. We carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. We always help 
restore fallen believers. And there gets to be something in us if we've experienced this in another way that we didn't experience it as love and grace, if we got hurt by it, that we are more prone to offer judgment to others because that's our memory. That's what the church did to me. And I didn't like it, but it must have been right because that's the way it happens and you need to change. You need to change the way you live and this is the only way you're going to get it. Even as I go through this, I just know, like, I'm flooded myself by the stories that I know of other people. I'm flooded by my own stories of where these things have come up, where judgment has been part of church, and where it has torn people and ripped them up. And they don't know how to ever go on. They said, it's not that I stopped believing in God, I just don't know how to live in the church. That's not the church I want to be part of. It's not the church that I want to lead. And I'm guessing it's not the church that you want to be part of either. There's a church that we can be defined as our family, that the same grace that forgives us is the same grace that we use to restore others. This is how we do it in the family of God. We don't pretend that things don't happen. Sin happens. We need to acknowledge it. But we don't kick people out and shun them away. We love them back into fellowship. If someone is caught in sin, we call it sin. It might not be popular in the world today, but that's what we call it. We don't kick people because they're down, because guess what? We sin too. We love them back, gently praying that they could be restored and maybe even promoted to do more things in the kingdom of God because that's the kind of God we serve, redemptive. How do we do this? How do we live this out? Because it's not just It's not just students of the word, it's livers. How do we live this stuff out? So John 1, 14, one of my favorite verses. One of my favorite verses, I come back to this all the time. We come down just to the end and it says, when Jesus came, he came full of grace and truth. And I can't prove this part, okay? So I'm telling you that, here's my star. I can't prove this part, but I have a theory. In the text, the word grace, which is charis, comes first. I think grace comes first because without grace, truth is harder to digest. When Jesus came, he came full of grace and truth. And here's the problem in our church, in the world, church world today. When there is all truth and no grace, it drives people away. You ought to behave this way. You know what's right. You got to do what's right. You've got to keep this and you got to do this and you got to do this and then you got to do that. This is what the Bible says. This is the truth. You've got to do this. When there's all truth and no grace, it leads to rebellion. Should it? It doesn't matter whether or not it should. That's what actually happens. We're dealing with actual people in the actual world. When it's all truth and no grace, people just say, well, I can't keep that part. You say it's not good enough if I can't do that, so what's the point of doing any of it? I'll just walk away and do whatever I want. And then flip it on the other side. When it's all grace and no truth, oh, God loves you. You can do whatever you want, man. God loves everybody, and who am I to judge you? All behavior is equal. All beliefs are equal. Just do whatever you want. All grace, no truth, it leads to license. Meaning that people will just live any way that they want. When Jesus came, he came full of grace. It's the loving kindness that draws people into repentance. And he came full of truth. 
You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. This is how we, as Jesus followers, love one another and the people who are around us. The same way that we were forgiven, grace. The same truth that we need a savior, truth. Truth is how we proclaim the love of God to everyone else around. Those outside the family of God, we don't judge them. We show them grace and we proclaim clearly truth. Just like I'm a sinner who needs a savior, so do you. And the loving kindness of a God who accepts you as you are is so great. How can you reject that love? Those inside the church, if someone strays, we love them enough to tell them the truth. You're going down a path that's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt other people. We always do it with grace because we are equally in need of the grace of God. That's how we do church. When someone falls by the grace of God, they can be restored. And brothers and sisters, when when someone you love is caught in a sin, what do you do? You restore them gently, but be careful. Jesus says, do not judge or you too will be judged. He didn't say that we never have the right to speak into someone's life. That's culture's interpretation of that verse. That speaks of lonely isolation. And what we're offering, what we preach, what we're telling you about, what we're calling you towards is not lonely isolation. We're calling you to loving community. The same grace that has been given to us is the same grace, the same truth that we share. And that truth of Jesus is what sets people free so they need to know it Clearly, that's how we accurately interpret the word of Jesus to bring healing, to bring restoration, and to help people find the same grace that transforms us. The loving kindness of God, which brings people to repentance. We come filled with grace and truth. Let's pray. Father, we ask that as a church, your Holy Spirit would help us to live this well because we know that it's hard. We know that it hurts sometimes. But God, may we be a reflection of your love to those outside of the family. God, inside the family, may we treat each other with grace and with truth, loving back to a point of righteousness. God, to help us get this right, God, God, send your spirit and fill us with your spirit that we would be able to discern wisely and not be led astray. Help us to share grace and truth in a way that constantly honors you and in a way that doesn't turn people away, but actually draws them into the loving kindness of God. Reveal yourself to us today We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. Be blessed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. It's better when you're here. Better when we're together. And as you go today, I want to remind you that you don't leave, you're being sent.
The mission is in front of you. And as you go, you need to be reminded that we are Christ-centered, we are spirit-empowered, and we are mission-focused. It's a mission that is for everyone, everywhere, all the time. We don't punch out. If you're visiting with us today, 